65,498 square miles. We've got a lot to cover, so let's get to it. This is Spanning the State. Here's your host, Kristen Bry. Good afternoon. This is the show where we highlight stories from across Wisconsin, and today we are going to Cronenwetter, Oshkosh, and even the Antarctic by way of Madison. And I am so excited to be joined by my guest co-host today. You've heard him on WTMJ at night. At night. That's at right. At night. Brian Noonan. <laughs> it's good to be here. Thanks for having me, Kristen. I'm so excited to see you. I've heard you for what feels like years at night. <laughs> Yes, that's a sad statement, but uh, yes, no, I'm kidding. And yes, it's uh, it's been uh, used to be WTMJ nights. Now it's WTMJ at night. Are you screwing that up at all? No, not at you, all. You got it clear? Oh no, I that's it's uh, everywhere. I have it written everywhere. I actually had it tattooed to my forearm in case I forget. That's that's smart. It's loyalty to this company. That's that's what it is. I'm very loyal. But well, we got you during the day now. Yeah, it's it's always fun to come in during the day because at night uh, nobody's here. My producer and I are the only ones in the building, so it's nice to uh, nice to come in and see that they do turn the lights on all over the place and that people work here. It's very it's very fun, and I've been listening to you for a long time, so this is a this is a good uh, this is very nice. This I'm is very nice. Very nice. No pressure. I think we're gonna uh, no, have fun. No pressure for me. It's your show. Well, you and I are, <laughs> neither of us are foreign to improv and stand up, so I feel like we're both fairly light on our feet. I hope so. Yeah. That's you know that's what's on my resume. We'll see if I can actually execute it in real <laughs> that's time. What I tell people that's I'm good sure. At. It's oh, this is what I do all the time, and they're like, "Hmm, we've heard you. Are you sure?" That, <laughs> so we'll just go from there. But yeah, I'm looking forward to talking about all the uh, all the stuff that we've got planned today. It's uh, interesting, the uh, especially our first guest because it hits very close to home. So it's uh, it'll be. A lot of fun. It'll be a lot of fun. So now that we keep, now that we've tried to convince everybody that it's going to be a lot of fun, do you feel any pressure to deliver fun? I always feel pressure to, to deliver fun. That's what I say. I said uh, making the complicated, complicated, super not complicated by using humor. So I'd hope that I bring the fun. Oh, you do. I just I, I always feel for myself when I keep telling people, oh, it's going to be fun. They're like, what is he hiding? Is this actually going to be fun? But yes, it actually will be. And if not, at least it's going to be really interesting. So. At least, and it'll probably be fast. Well, sure. We're already done, aren't we? Yeah. All right. Well, like you said, you just teased what our first topic is. So yes. you are a substitute teacher. So you are not yes. familiar with teacher shortages and the, the problems that teachers are facing of yes. getting into the profession, staying in the profession. And there's a new proposal. There's actually competing proposals in Wisconsin as far as teacher apprenticeships. Right. So the debate on how much education versus hands-on experience does a teacher need to justify the cost for a degree and still getting people in the door. So sure. our next guest, when we come back after the break, is going to talk about the programs, talk about the pilot program that's going on, the proposal that's sitting on Governor Evers' desk. But also, I have a question around, is changing requirements, changing what regulations around different industries for every industry that has a shortage. Is that the smartest thing? Is that what's going to fix it? And also, I think with teacher shortages, it's as many people that are getting people in the door as it is keeping them teaching. It's the retention, because yeah. there are a lot of people who really, they've dreamed of being teachers their whole lives. You know, little girls, little boys, they want to be a teacher. And then they become a teacher, and after about four years, they're like, boy, this isn't what I thought this was going to be at all. And, yeah, teacher retention is equally as tough as the teacher shortage and that's that's fueling the teacher shortage see how that goes but the administrators they don't see it that way 
Yeah. So we're going to talk about all of that when we come back. This is Spanning the State on WTMJ. Welcome back to Spanning the State. I am Kristen Bry. He is Brian Noonan. And we need teachers. Like so many vital industries in Wisconsin, we do not have enough people doing some of our most important jobs. So the question becomes, how do we get more? And one proposal that is out there, there's two actually competing proposals about it, is changing the requirements to become a teacher. So joining us now to talk more about teacher apprenticeships is Quentin Claybon, Senior Research Director for Institute for Reforming Government. Hi, Quentin. Hi. Uh, hi, it is a very uh, windy day out. Uh, listeners don't know I have very long hair, and so I currently resemble a scarecrow or bird's nest. So I'm very thankful for the theater of the mind today. Uh, but thank you for having me on. But there, yeah. is, oh, there no. is a camera. All right, so, so I'll be looking if down. If you would then. like to see Quentin's hair now that he's teased it, you can text watch to the WTMJ talking text line 855-616-1620. Highest ratings ever. All right, Quentin. So before we dive into what the program is, what are some of the facts around our teacher shortage? Yeah, so I think one, um, I think people know a lot about Act 10. This was um, a reform that happened under the S- Governor Scott Walker years, changed a lot of the union rules. And I think a lot of people assume that that uh, caused a lot of changes to the teaching profession. Um, obviously, some people left, some people retired, some people didn't consider it an attractive job. But it really hasn't affected the numbers uh, of, of people trying to become teachers these days. Um, we have about 49,000 fewer students than we did before Act 10, but we have 1,800 more teachers. So it's really these teacher preparation programs at college that are um, not getting enough and enough variety of teachers into the profession. Um, So right now we have um, a a couple of issues. One, um, just not enough types of of people from around Wisconsin are trying to become teachers. Um, When you say types, you mean different demographics? Different demographics. So men don't really try and become teachers in Wisconsin. Uh, People of color don't really try to become teachers that much. Right now, um, 69% of first-year teachers in Wisconsin are white women. Um, Wow, 69%. One out of every six white women who are 23 years old in Wisconsin are teachers. (laughs) That which blows my mind. Is there data on why those other uh, groups are not pursuing teaching as a career? Um, yeah, I think um, uh, one, I think that's what we'll get into. So it's it's not that affordable um, to become a teacher. You have to get a four year degree. Um, you have to pay to work your last semester of teaching as a student teacher. You have to pay tuition for that. Um, you don't get paid that much coming out of it. And a lot of teachers don't feel prepared when they enter the classroom. Um, so. 18% quit after their first two years. So for every, you know, 100 uh, teachers that enters the profession, essentially uh, one-fifth quit uh, within two years. And so you're just constantly facing turnover, and you're constantly getting a lot of new teachers in the classroom, which is tough on kids. So enter teacher apprenticeships, which the name itself, I have ideas of what this would be as far as working fast, working sooner versus finishing your degree. So, But I don't know the details of it. Yeah, absolutely. So... This is apprenticeships are expanding to a lot of professions. Um, I think it was traditionally like electricians, plumbers. Now nurses are doing it. It Um, and right now um, there are thirty different states that are that are enacting teacher apprenticeships. It's something that's gotten Republicans excited, Democrats excited, unions excited, kind of uh, 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 egghead types like me excited. 
again, very big. Scarecrow okay. egghead. <laughs> wow. Uh, self-care. Uh, mental health month or something. Um, yeah, but um, so uh, what they're saying is, okay, we need to make it, uh, we need to get more classroom experience. Uh, the more experience you get on the ground, uh, the uh, more likely you are to stay with a profession because you know what you're getting into. You have a mentor, which is a part of all apprenticeships. You have a mentor that's going to watch your, watch and coach you while you're doing this. Uh, we were briefly talking offline about uh, becoming a parent. You can read all the books you want, but you don't really know until you jump into it. And the same, a, a lot of that is true for teaching as well. So the sooner you get in a classroom and get that practice, uh, the better it is. And then paying teachers for their time in classrooms, I think, sounds like a good idea to everybody. So, Brian, as someone who was a teacher, yes. now subbing, what do you think about a program I like think this? the apprenticeship program is fantastic. Um, you were talking, Quentin, you were mentioning the unions being behind it. Both parties are behind it. I think if anybody, which is unusual because usually something that makes a lot of sense like this program does, doesn't get past the higher-ups. It makes too much common sense. If you get somebody in a classroom for two years, they actually get their hands dirty. They get to see what's going on. Uh, classroom management is fine in theory in a classroom until you are in front of those 25 kids. You don't know the best way to really deal with those kids. So all, everything on here makes sense. What is keeping it from taking hold? So the good news is that it is just competing good ideas going at it. So Governor Evers, uh, one of his main policies that he promoted in his State of the State uh, address, he gives a yearly address. This happened in January. He's promoting this new pilot to do teacher apprenticeships um, in, in the way that he sees it. Republicans have a bill that passed both houses um, that is going to Governor Evers' desk right now to be um, signed or to be reviewed in the next month or two. Um, so it's it's really great news that both parties are trying to attack this in their own way, and hopefully we get it. Uh, hopefully we get it going. And this, to be clear, this is not lowering the expectations or the what you need to be a teacher, the requirements to be a teacher. This is just saying your last two years are more of a work study program because you're still in college, you're still getting credit for that. You're just learning hands-on rather than sitting in a classroom. Yeah, I think a lot of the proposals say, hey, uh, you don't need any experience or courses. Just jump into a classroom and you'll survive. Uh, <laughs> I certainly can. I know you are also a teacher. <laughs> oh, I would uh, I would die if I was still doing it. Uh, but uh, yes, and so um, it's all of the required courses that you would typically take, how to teach kids to read, how to manage those classrooms, but then you're getting to enact it right away. And then again, going back to your professor saying, hey, this is what we learned in theory. Here's what it's like in practice yeah. and just reinforcing that. So again, love that both parties are excited about it. So the big switch then is instead of paying to be a student teacher, you are starting to get paid in those two years. Yeah, so that can come from federal funding. Um, President Biden is really excited about this. He actually started it with Tennessee's Republican governor. And um, he um, uh, First Lady Biden is... Um, promoting this around the country and so it's it's a really big priority for them um that's one big change um we could also support it through philanthropy we could support it through state funds i think if we're lowering the cost of becoming a teacher by by you know spending more time in the classroom you know uh earning wages um we can cut the cost on the program and hopefully find it easy to support rather than just you know subsidizing a program um uh, which has been shot down in recent years so if we can lower the cost I th hopefully i think both parties can get behind funding it and there was also something in there about some of that money may be used to give the mentor teachers a little bump which would be you know i don't i can't see any teacher going no nah, i'll just do it i make work. enough money yeah I, oh i make thousands <laughs> thousands all right well, we got to take a quick break but when we come back i also just want to ask you if you think this addresses the leaky bucket retention issue that is also part of the teacher shortage so our guest is quentin claybon senior research director for the institute for reforming government he's brian noonan i am kristen bry this is spanning the state
Welcome back to Spanning the State. I am Kristen Bry. He is Brian Noonan, and we are talking to Quentin Claibon, Senior Research Director for Institute for Reforming Government on teacher shortages and teacher apprenticeship programs. So one of the things Brian and I talked about, there is getting people in the door, which it sounds like there's a lot of people studying to become teachers. So maybe that is not the top of the funnel is not necessarily the problem. It's keeping people in there within the first two years. And is this, you think, not a silver bullet, but is it really addressing the bigger issue, biggest issue when it comes to retention? Uh, I think we could have a, an hour-long conversation about the many ways that we could treat teachers better. Um, <laughs> but I think this is one important okay. piece. And more importantly, it's it's added value. It's not something that we've done before. Um, getting them much more experience so that, you know, they've seen the high schooler who just walks out of the classroom. They've seen the third year, the, the uh, third grader who's just like screaming for no reason. They can handle it now um, and, and would love to stay in the profession. So I think it's an important piece. And they've also seen uh, the the monotony of constant meetings and no plan times. And they've gotten the good and the bad, and they've been able to do that under an experienced teacher who can maybe navigate going, yeah, we have a lot of meetings, but there's this and that, so that you're not disillusioned after two years. Because the the new teachers that I've worked with, that's the biggest thing. They come in very idealistic, very uh, you know dedicated, and then they're just beaten down by the the hierarchy, the administration, all the all the outside stuff. It's not the kids; it's all the cursory stuff that goes with that teaching job. Yeah, I think there's a reason uh, Dead Poet Society is about rich kids and Stand and Deliver is about regular kids um, because uh, that is the reality. It is juggling. It's a juggling job. It's figuring out when to make your move, when to plan. Um, it's managing that. It's not um, staying in our desk and being like, what if we dreamed about Shakespeare? <laughs> like That's not how kids really learn. Um, so yeah, the more experience you get, the, the, the if you are presenting people with how it's going to actually be, they're going to either switch their major in college, not have to take five or six years of college, or they're going to realize, okay, this is for me and be prepared once they jump in and then stay long-term in the profession. So with the competing good ideas that we have in front of us right now, one includes Milwaukee and one does not? And you would think it would be the opposite. So uh, this is surprising. So essentially, Governor Evers' pilot plugs into an existing... Um, uh, plugs into our technical colleges and an existing technical college degree. It's called FOTE. Um, so it's only offered at uh, nine of the 16 technical colleges. And for some reason, it's not offered at Madison College and it's not offered at MATC. Um, so if you want to join the teacher apprenticeship program, you either have to drive to Waukesha, take it online, uh, or not do it. And, you know, a lot of the people who could become teachers in Milwaukee maybe don't have, you know, a reliable vehicle or, you know, the money to be driving around or don't want to take it online. And so um, the proposal from the Republicans is essentially to offer, let any four-year university opt into a teacher apprenticeship program, essentially. Um, and so that could hopefully get Concordia involved. That could get Marquette involved. Um, hopefully UW-Milwaukee involved. Um, and we just think that's the option. We're not going to solve the teacher shortage um, if we're not throwing everything we have at this problem. And who, which schools actually produce the most teachers right now? That's kind of a random question that just popped in my head. Yeah, it's uh, it's like UW-Stevens Point. It's UW-Eau Claire. It's okay. kind of those like um, regional centers. Um, and really, Milwaukee could be doing um, a lot better, um, all of our universities, when it comes to producing teachers. A lot of them come in. A lot of them don't finish those programs and get into teaching, unfortunately. So hopefully this could help. And so we'd love to see them jump in. Absolutely. Go ahead, Brian. So what's the uh, timetable on this? I know you said that the governor's talking about this, but when when... 
might it take effect? Yeah, so we know that it will take effect. There will be a pilot that starts in September 2024, so that's exciting. So um, those that are available to do it will start it then. I think if people want to have access to this program, if you're saying it's really important that Milwaukee and Milwaukee County has teachers, um, I think talking to the people who are making decisions uh, could be really helpful um, so that in autumn of 2025, we can get people going in this program. So moving beyond teachers, there's also always conversations about what we are teaching, and we only have you for about two more minutes, so I'm going to put you on the spot on one very hotly debated topic of whether or not we should mandate teaching cursive. First of all, I was never a studier, so I'm always ready for pop quizzes. No problem. (laughs) Secondly, um, yeah, I think um, what we're learning, and I think uh, as someone who's on his screen most of the day now, I can tell you, um, you just... Uh, take a lot less from constant screen usage, especially when you're younger. So I think the more tactile things we can do, the better. And that is physical education. That's like science laboratory stuff. But I do think it's also cursive. Um, so you're pro. I'm pro. And also, um, it is, it, I, I do mentor at St. Marcus Mo- Lutheran Milwaukee still. And sometimes the kids will ask me like, what what they're supposed to do for their signature because they don't know cursive. Do you still write in cursive? Uh, I do, but mine is Brian, illegible either way. I only sign my name in cursive. Okay. I print yeah. when I... When I use a pen, I print. Yes. Uh, my mom is a school teacher and retired school teacher, and so she would she would not be happy if I lost any of the skills that I picked up in elementary school. All right. Well, Quinn Claibon, always so good to hear your thoughts on the state of education in Wisconsin and things that we can be doing better by our kids, better by our teachers. So I am always happy to have you here. Yeah, so excited, and, and congratulations on, on, on uh, starting this new journey. Absolutely. We'll have to have you back to talk about because I know you're very passionate about literacy, and we talked about it quickly with Dr. Underly yesterday as far as the changes happening with phonics and teaching, <laughs> and Brian has opinions on that. So never a shortage of topics when it comes to education. But when we come back, uh, we are going to be talking about exotic pets. And if you own one, what makes a pet exotic versus what makes it just a wild animal that you are having in your house. But if you own an exotic pet or if you have a crazy animal story, we'd love to hear from you. 855-616-1620. Setting Unlimited News Time is one thirty. ABC News and local headlines are next. Welcome back to Spanning the State. I am Kristen Bry. He is Brian Noonan. What's the craziest pet you've ever owned? I have not had crazy pets. We, When I was a kid, my parents told us, I have four brothers, so they told everybody I was allergic to dogs, so we never had pets as a kid. Did and, you believe that you were allergic to dogs? Did they tell you, convince well, you of that? Well, sure. They, Of course. They're my parents. Why would they lie to me? <laughs> uh, fast forward, all of my brothers, including me, have had dogs for decades. <laughs> no uh, issue. No issue at all. Uh, the only thing I had that was slightly exotic, and it's not really, when our daughter was young, we had goldfish. Not exotic. It's not exotic at all. So dogs and goldfish. Did they live a long, prosperous life? I actually, well, I killed the first couple. <laughs> Did she know that you killed them? Did yeah, you lie to her? It, it wasn't, no, I let her know. <laughs> it wasn't intentional. But then I learned how to regulate the tank. And some of them lived a long time to the point where when we were moving from California back to Illinois, we couldn't transport the fish. So they were like, well, you just can't flush those fish. We were found a pet store. No, they were, you know, okay. uh, two inches. Okay. Um, we found a pet store that would take them, allegedly. 
We we dropped them off at the pet store. Who knows? They might have used them for food for something else. But we felt better. My daughter was like, "Oh, good, they're going to go to a good home." And I'm like, mm, "Yeah, so the equivalent they... to the the happy farm." Right. But at least we dropped it off. She saw us make the effort. But that's yeah. So when you think of exotic pets, though, what do you think of? I think of that guy walking around the state fair with a boa constrictor around his neck, and uh, you know, usually he's got a top hat on too, but no shirt. And he's just got a snake wrapped around him. I think of that guy. And then the people who have, like, ferrets and uh, you know, iguanas and all those kind of things. I'm like, why do you have those kind of pets? What What are you doing? I, and that is that is a good question. Because I've never had the craziest pet I've had is a gerbil okay. and a rabbit. Ooh, Neither a of rabbit. which were that. The, my rabbit was not very nice, Oh, which I think is typical of rabbits, but still a pet. <laughs> sure, because now right? it's in a pen in your house instead of running around outside with Peter Cottontail. But the difference between what is an exotic pet that is a norm, still considered a totally normal, n- not ill-advised thing right, to have like in your home. Like a gerbil or a hamster is in the realm of regular pet. Versus Tiger King. It's like, I own <laughs> a tiger and charge people to come see it. And I feel like there there is a line sure. somewhere. And so in our next uh, segment, we're going to be talking to an, an exotic pet pet expert uh, on what maybe that line is, but it is National Invasive Species Awareness Week, which is exactly what it sounds like. It aims to curb the spread of invasive species, which can be some of these exotic pets that some people, when they can't take care of their pet, just like sometimes when people can't take care of their dog, they just release it. Yes, into the wild. Don't do that. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's in Florida, that's why they're paying these people to go out and hunt pythons. Because people had them and went, holy cow, I didn't realize this python was going to get to be eight feet long and almost kill me. I'm just going to leave it in the swamp. I'm just going to let it yeah, go. It'll, it'll be fine. So if you own an exotic pet and you ever could not <laughs> take care of it, there's events like what's happening this weekend in Oshkosh, where it is an exotic pet surrender. And coming up next, we're going to talk to the events organizer from JNR Aquatic Animal Rescue and talk all things exotic pets all as right. far as maybe some of the craziest stories he's uh, he's. Yeah, well, I, I picture him just surrounded by tanks, just terrariums and all sorts of things. He's going to be on the phone. Unfortunately, we can't tell if he'll be having a wearing a boa shirtless, but <laughs> I imagine one. in my brain that's how I'm going to picture him. I think so, too. All right. In the meantime, if you own an exotic pet or if you have a crazy animal story, we'd love to hear from you. The WTMJ talk and text line 855-616-1620. Uh, let, let us know your stories. If you own one. Let us know, are they cuddly? Can you cuddle an iguana? I don't know. <laughs> News time is one thirty nine. This is Spanning the State on WTMJ. Welcome back to Spanning the State. I am Kristen Bry here with Brian Noonan. And we're talking about exotic pets. I saw this, uh, that there this weekend, March 2nd, there's going to be an exotic pet surrender up in Oshkosh, and my mind just kind of said, what is that? And and why are people surrendering these exotic pets? And what are the range of pets that that (laughs) get surrendered and get rescued, and then in turn can be adopted? Yes. And so I'm so excited to be talking to our next guest. John Moyles is the director of JNR Aquatic Animal Rescue in Nina, Wisconsin. Thanks for taking time to join us, John. Oh, hey, thanks for having me. So... This this just start with the very beginning when we talk about surrender. But I would assume any pet, exotic or not, 
if you can't take care of them, just releasing them into the wild is a bad idea. But why is that especially bad when it's a snake or an iguana or any of the other types of animals you rescue? Right. So um, the animals that we focus on typically wouldn't survive the our Wisconsin winters um, unless it's a day like today. But um, seriously, uh, uh, on the uh, flip side of that, um, they could become established and become what's called invasive. And invasive species are animals that uh, are non non native, and they can cause um, uh, ecological, ecological or economic damage. So like crop pests or um, they can displace or, or eat animals, you know, our native animals. So that's what we're trying to prevent. And so when we think of exotic pets, because I was looking at the snakes and some of the, on your social media right now, the animals you have right now, they're up for adoption or fostering. What to you is the difference between a pet that is happens to be exotic and an animal that probably you shouldn't try to own as a pet? Well, so um, we like to, like, our line is, like, the kind of animals that you would think of when you think of the Humane Society. Those are the animals we don't really deal with. Okay. So we don't deal with dogs, cats, farm animals, um, rabbits, that kind of thing. We deal with more of, like, the pet store type animals. So we deal with fish and birds, exotic mammals, reptiles, amphibians, that sort of thing. John, do you have... As a, a human, uh, exotic pets, how did you get into the exotic pet game? Yeah, so I've been working in the pet, in the pet industry since uh, for 30 years. I just hit my 30-year mark, so since oh, 1994. And, um, and my educational background is environmental studies and natural resources management. So where those two lines inter- intersect our invasive species. So uh, a few years ago, 2016, I started working with um, – UWC grant on a project to try to reduce pet releases, and that evolved into JNR Aquatic Animal Rescue opening um, out of my home in 2020. Uh, we were quickly overwhelmed with the amount of business that we had. <laughs> wow! Um, so, and uh, and in 2022 we opened up our uh, rescue center in Nina. So we have a 2,400 square foot facility that's open to the public with an adoption center. Right now we have somewhat close to, I think, 500 animals up for adoption. Wow. And we have an education center where we, uh, where we go to, like, school groups, libraries, birthday parties, that kind of thing, and teach people about um, how to take care of animals. So what is the range of the 500, 500 animals you have right now? What's, what, tell, me, tell me what's there. Like, how many snakes, how many iguanas? What is the range right, of right. species? So we, we, we have everything from, like, carnival goldfish to an alligator. You have an alligator? How Who big is it? Who drops off an alligator? Right, so this is like alligator number eight for us, I believe. Uh, we get them in quite often. You know, we only place alligators in uh, sanctuaries or zoos, um, you know, because I don't know if you knew this, but they don't really make great pets. I would think not. Um, yeah, yeah. But, uh, but yeah, we, we get in a number of alligators. So, uh, so we always send them to, to zoos and alligators, or zoos and sanctuaries, and we have one. Uh, he's a little guy. His name's Larry, and uh, he's, at our, he's at our rescue center right now. Uh, this waiting is, um, to, to get shipped out. It's fascinating that someone would have... So who... Can you buy an alligator? Where does an alligator... How does it end up in Wisconsin? Because I'm guessing that's not a pet store. Pet, the yeah, animal. you know, I, I've never been at, yeah. in a pet store and go, hey, an alligator, that's cool. Right, right. So um, you can get them at pet stores. Um, Wisconsin doesn't have any overarching exotic animal law. 
So it all depends on like wow. city by city by city by city. So where we are in Fox Crossing, there's no exotic animal law, which is, allows us to handle animals like this, which is specifically why we moved here. Because if we can't help, then who will? Right. You know, um, community, our surrounding communities like Appleton, Menasha, uh, Nina, you can't have them. Or in Menasha, you can have them up to 30 inches. But uh, in, in most communities, you can't have them. But, uh, it, you know, some pet stores out there do sell American, baby American alligators, and they're relatively inexpensive. And do people not think they're going to yeah. grow? Is that the is that the issue? I yeah, or they'll just. A lot of people will get these pets thinking that a zoo is going to want them. You know, when it gets too big, but zoos are full, <laughs> so <laughs> um, right. Uh, zoos aren't really interested in uh, wow. in taking um, people's pets. So, John, what? animal would people be surprised is actually very friendly and or cuddly um so like we get uh, a lot of ball pythons those are super friendly animals interesting um you know you don't really think of a snake as being uh cuddly or uh you know super affectionate or nice but ball pythons are really great um they make really great pets super mellow john i Um, saw the jungle book when i was a kid snakes are not friendly (laughs) right 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 yeah Oh, we've got some aggressive ones, too, but, uh, but ball pythons uh, uh, usually are, are pretty mellow. All right. Well, I want to get enough information because this weekend in Oshkosh, there's an exotic pet surrender. Uh, what should people know about the event? Um, so is that the Coughlin Center, which is like the, uh, the extension office, DNR office, you know, that kind of thing, um, right down by the Sunnyview Expo Center. It runs from noon to 3. Um, you can bring your pets that you can't take care of anymore. Make sure it's an exotic one. Like if it's something that the Humane Society can take, like rabbits, guinea pigs, dogs, cats, those we don't, we're, we're not licensed for really. But uh, exotic pets like fish, birds, small animals, like chinchillas, hedgehogs, ferrets, that kind of thing, those we can help with. Awesome. Well, John Moyles is the director of JNR Aquatic Animal Rescue up in Nina, Wisconsin. Thanks so much for t- spending time with us, John. In the meantime, if you have an exotic pet, or you have an exotic pet story, we would love to hear that and share some of those stories in the next segment. WTMJ, talk and text line 855-616-1620. This is Spanning the State on WTMJ. Welcome back to Spanning the State. I am Kristen Bry here with Brian Noonan. And not a lot of exotic pet stories. We did get one. Good. Uh, good. You were not convinced about snake that one type of snake being I'm friendly. going to admit I hate snakes. I have an uh, irrational fear of snakes and it may go back I was only half joking seeing Jungle Book as a young child. The Snape? Was that the No, jungle? it was uh who was the uh, that's Harry Potter. Oh yeah. Snape. Uh Jungle Book it was uh, the python. I know, but I'm trying to think of what his name Mowgli's. is. It's not Shere Khan, that's the panther. It's not Baloo, that's the bear. Uh Boy, I can't, I'll, I'll look it you up. You look it up. Uh, I'll look it up. We did have someone from the 414 saying they have several exotic pets. They have a red-footed tortoise and many dart frogs, leopard geckos. So those those all seem in the, the pet world to me. Yeah, a, tor- a tortoise even, you know, they're fine. They wander around. They're not going to bother anybody. Um, gecko- this is a snapping turtle. Snapping turtle is probably not a good pet. Yeah, well, you can keep a, a turtle. I, I don't... Maybe it's because I'm empty inside. I want my pet to be happy when they see me when I come home. My so dog goes crazy. No. Cats. I, listen, I deal Sorry, with adults who are dismissive. I don't need to deal with an animal who's dismissive, <laughs> too. If I feed you and change your litter box and do all that, 
then you, you don't get to dismiss me out of hand. <laughs> I did have someone from the 414 texted in saying they work at the Humane Society with small animals and the rabbits are very affectionate. I think your rabbit, meaning my rabbit, was the exception. And now that I'm thinking back on it, I'm trying to think, do I have memories of my rabbit being mean? Or did my parents tell me that the rabbit was mean because they got sick of cleaning its cage after I stopped cleaning the cage as I'm a six-year-old? I'm guessing it's the latter. that maybe, And maybe they found some surprises in their salad one day and was like, this rabbit has got to go. We're done. Yeah, this We're rab- done with the rabbit. This rabbit was so mean, Krista. We had to get rid of it. It attacked you in your sleep. It tried to kill you while you were de- taking a nap. You know, that's my mom still says has this thing about uh, don't have a cat where you have a baby because the cats, there's legend, it's an Irish uh, lore, the cats will jump into the crib and suck the breath right out of a baby. So that's what? why we never had cats. <laughs> yeah. Listen. I've never heard that lore before. Well, you don't have a cat at home, do you? We never had cats at home. Thank you. Well, good. You, you know, we don't want uh, any breath being sucked out of anybody at your house. <laughs> that's why I don't trust cats or Ka. So, Ka was the name of the snake. There you go. So only dogs in in the Noonan household. Only dogs or uh, fish that I will someday give away. But yes, right now it's just dogs. (laughs) All right. Well, coming up in the next hour, how do you sell a church? How do you buy buy a church? What would you do with a church if you owned one? What would you do with a church if you owned one? Wow. I'd turn it into a cat sanctuary (laughs) and exercise all their demons from sucking breath out of babies. That's what I would do. I'd turn it into some sort of clinic. There you go. To teach them. You came up with that right on the spot. Right on the spot. (laughs) Well, with the church attendance declining and more and more churches sitting empty, this is a growing question that both parishes and even tech entrepreneurs are trying to answer. And so coming up, we're going to talk to a journalist from Journal Sentinel who went to central Wisconsin because she saw a church listed on Zillow. And so she went there to check it out. It was it was put up for sale. It was bought. This church is over a hundred years old. Nice. And so she interviewed people who were not very happy with the church closing. <laughs> I think, as you could you would imagine. Sure. But also to the couple who bought it. But also talking to people trying to solve this question because you look over the skyline of Milwaukee. There's a lot of steeples. A lot of steeples. And I don't know what how many of them are full, how many of them are not any given Sunday, but. There's more and more selling every year. And so what that process even looks like, we will find up uh, find out after the news, weather, and traffic update. Stay with us. This is Spanning the State on WTMJ. 65,498 square miles. We've got a lot to cover, so let's get to it. This is Spanning the State. Here's your host, Kristen Bry. Good afternoon and welcome back to Spanning the State. I am Kristen Bry and he is Brian Noonan. This is, you're making this very difficult, Brian. Am I? I that's my goal. <laughs> they, they always say, why don't you come in and sit with somebody? It'll, you want, we want to see if they can handle what you bring, the black hole that you bring to the show. You know, that's not how I would describe you, but the, the first hour, I will say, I think went swimmingly. Well, thank you. I do as well. It's been, it's it's great to be here. It's great I, to finally get to work with you. Yes. Well, listen, we still have an hour. Let's That's not true. get ahead of ourselves. That's true. It if could you did all miss, go south. If you missed the first hour, you can always listen to it as a podcast at WTMJ.com. And as a reminder, you can always watch us, even though Brian got into radio for a reason to not be watched. Yeah. But it's 2024. So you can still watch us instead of just listen at WTMJ.com or text the word watch to the talk and text line 855-616-1620. Brian. Yes. Kristen. Are you a religious person? 
I would say I'm a spiritual person. Okay. I try to um, live by the golden rule. I am a product, as my mom would tell my four brothers and myself, I'm a product of a good Catholic education. I went through 12 years of Catholic school, um, did all the all the stuff. My first year of college, I made sure I went to church every Sunday. And to be honest, and this is not a cop-out, I just am disgruntled and... Uh, I don't like the organization of the Catholic Church anymore. I don't like the cover-ups. I don't like the way they treat women. I don't like their stances on, uh, you know, people's personal choices. There's a lot of uh, do as we say, not as we do. So, and I know that's going to upset people, and I'm sorry. And we looked at, I looked at other churches, and um, you know, the kind that have like rock concerts in during the service, and it was really cool the first few times until we sat down. Um, at a potential parishioners meeting, and my wife said, so how do you feel about uh, the gay and lesbian community? And uh, the pastor was like, well, we don't, uh, we don't really talk about them. We just, uh, you know, if we, we uh, hope that they'll change their mind, and that was the last time we went into that church. So, I so per- you haven't found a home. I have. Far- it's my own house. Like, and sure. it's, my own, it's my own belief system and my own... Uh, my own way of treating people that I think is based in what I learned as a kid, but with all the pageantry and framework stripped away to the basic message. And that's really, for me, that's where I find my peace in my home. Well, and you're, part of a growing trend right there is yeah. i think there's a lot of people who have stopped attending church who aren't necessarily not religious right but are more spiritual or they're finding how to well what about you you ask me i'll put you on the spot too i would say i was also raised in catholic church we were um i went to catholic school and then we went to church every sunday i was one of those kids who big shock i was a theater kid <laughs> and so i found ways to be engaged at church to be able to be to perform Ah. so i was doing the readings i was in the choir but that was less about my pious um you wanted how religious i felt yes i just wanted attention was this jesus guy (laughs) i I can shine too and so i we are not churchgoers now we would like to find a church more for the sake of community yeah that i think not going to church i think church provides a a sense of community when you find the right one but there is a growing trend of a decline of people going to church. So there is lots of churches across the state, across the country that are sitting empty. And whether you are full or not full, the upkeep on that is very expensive. So there is churches popping up on Zillow. See, when you brought this up, I was, I was surprised, but then I thought, okay, I've seen some churches used for commercial things. When my daughter lived in new Orleans, Right up the block was an old church that somebody had converted into a private home. So I was then it started to make more sense, you know, because we tend to think of like the churches that are owned by one of the big religions, and those are much harder to get rid of. Mm -hmm. But private private churches or smaller churches, as long as the congregation and the board are are up for it, those are the ones that seem to be closing. And then you're right. What do we do with them? What do we do with them? So as American churches empty out, what will become of all that real estate? When we come back, we will hear the story of one central Wisconsin church that sold last year and what this journalist found as far as the larger trend of where canon law meets zoning code. This is Spanning the State.
Welcome back to Span in the State. I am Kristen Bry here with Brian Noonan. And if you saw a church for sale on Zillow, would you consider buying it? What would you do with it once you bought it? Uh, well, our next guest did see a church on Zillow. And while she wasn't the one who bought it, she did write a story about the folks who did. Genevieve, Genevieve Redston is a real estate and business reporter for the Journal Sentinel. Genevieve, thanks for being here in person with us. Thanks so much for having me. So... How do, how does one sell a church? And is there real estate <laughs> is there like real estate uh, brokers involved? Like who is in, engaged in this transaction? Yeah, well, the realtor in this case is a guy who lives not too far from the church and okay. knew the parishioners quite well. And I think he's been around the block before. He's sold a lot of different kinds of properties, and this posed a unique challenge because. Not only are you dealing with all the real estate complexity, the zoning, you know, the buyers, the village board, you're also dealing with questions of something sacred and how to manage it. Yeah. That's what and, I was going to ask. Is it consecrated ground? I mean, it's it, is that a, an odd term? But it goes to what you were saying about it, it being a sacred space. So do they have to do something beforehand? Well, I think the challenge across the country is that um, all sorts of churches are emptying out, and uh, a lot of churches can't afford their uh, maintenance costs, and so they have to find buyers. And in some cases, it's a really good transition of ownership, and in some cases, it's a lot messier. Um, and interestingly, the Catholic Church is uh, estimated to be one of the biggest property owners in the world. Uh, when you think about all the different university campuses and church properties, even hospitals that are Catholic. Uh, but as a, a man who I quoted in the story told me, um, there's no guy in the Vatican with a spreadsheet of all these properties. <laughs> really? <laughs> no. I, that I find hard to believe. In fact, I wonder if the Vatican has a spreadsheet guy at all. But uh, <laughs> no, nobody is really tracking this. And so it's... Um, it's kind of left up to the local people so that was, to manage. So it's the it's is it the congregation? Is it the diocese? Like what is the order of operation of who's involved <laughs> once they're like, well, this one and and what is the amount of people still attending the church? How low does it have to be to be like, well, this doesn't make sense anymore? That's a good question about when uh, churches draw the line, and I think it kind of depends. Um, it was the decision of the diocese of Lacrosse to. Uh, close down this parish, which just means that the parishioners who attend mass there are absorbed into another neighboring parish. Um, and so, you know, they still have a place to go on Sundays. It might be a little further back. Um, but but yeah, the question of, of what it, you know, when you draw the line and who you pass it off to is really tricky. And I think that's something that a lot of religious leaders are still dealing with. This is still kind of an early question. Going back to what you said earlier about the the zoning and all that, how difficult has it been for this church in particular, mm -hmm. or for other churches, to go from I'm, are they commercially zoned as a church, and then to to go either to a business or to stay commercial or go residential? How hard a transition is that? You know, that's a good question, and I don't want to misspeak. This the zoning stuff came up quite a bit, and I I kind of dipped a toe into it, but yeah. frankly, it's a whole can of worms. Yeah. Um, I think in this case, a, a tricky question that came up was the cemetery because um, 
you know, people are buried there and will continue to be buried there. Because people have already bought plots. Yeah, people yeah. people are waiting to be buried there. So uh, they had to create an easement for that cemetery. And so that made it a little bit complicated because right now um, it's a residential property. It's a family living in this church. But um, how to manage the cemetery was a little trickier. When you were researching and digging into this story, did you find <laughs> how many churches have been sold in Wisconsin? Well, this is the other thing. It's very hard to track that. There are some estimates, but again, like just like there's no guy in the Vatican with a spreadsheet, uh, there's no one central place that this is all counted. You have all different sorts of you know, churches. You have Lutherans, you have Catholics, mm-hmm. Presbyterians. Um, there has been a rise in um, evangelical congregations, but everybody else is seeing a decline. Um, but what's interesting about evangelicals, mm-hmm. and this is an anecdote and a best guess, I feel like a lot of times they're in strip, their churches are in strip malls. Like, yeah, they have a coffee shop. Or yeah, something. and, and yeah. not what you think of the steeple and the brick and the mm-hmm. old beautiful buildings that they're plopping in different places. Is there not an exchange that could happen there as far as evangelicals <laughs> moving into the Catholic church that's been empty? That's a good question. I think you have, have to... enough people in yeah. their congregation. Yeah, I don't know. And maybe that's not what they're looking for. I didn't speak with any evangelical leaders, but I, I have been to a couple churches like that. And I've seen, you know, they, they do have more infrastructure. They have it feels a little bit more contemporary, um, which is maybe why it's drawing in more people. You know, you have a coffee shop you have a jumbotron in some cases it's a rock to... concert <laughs> the, the jumbotron i can't imagine that in the the old no. catholic church necessarily no, I don't catholics know if, it's aren't big on if it's equipped with the, the technology <laughs> like the electricity needed for that but our guest is genevieve redston who is a business reporter for the journal sentinel when we come back i want to talk more about the ideas the big silicon valley ideas of what to do with all this church <laughs> real estate this is spanning the state on wtmj Welcome back to Spanning the State. I am Kristen Bry here with Brian Noonan and Genevieve Redston talking about church real estate and more empty churches, what we're going to do with them, how hard it is to have that transaction. But in researching this this story, you talk to some people who have big ideas for what we could do with some of these empty churches. And what were some of them? Well, I'm a Notre Dame alum, and so I had seen some talk um, from my alma mater about this very question. Um, Notre Dame just started its church properties initiative a few years back, and they're trying to bring together people um, from all sorts of backgrounds on this question to think big about what you can do with church real estate. And so there's sort of a Silicon Valley bent to some of the ideas (laughs) Which is a little funny when you're thinking about the Catholic Church specifically. <laughs> well, it, as someone who I spent the first part of my career in Silicon Valley at tech companies and imagining the the mantra of iterate or die and applying it to the Catholic Church just feels weird. Yeah, they're not known for being so progressive. <laughs> no, moving fast and breaking things mm-hmm. now. Yeah, fail fast, fail often. <laughs> Um, yeah, but, you know, I think the idea is this is a really practical problem. And even though um, it, these are sacred properties, they also are just properties. The roof leaks and you got to pay for it. And if you don't have people sitting in pews every Sunday paying the bills, you have to find another way to do it. Uh, so one of the ideas that came up is a startup that's trying sort of an Airbnb for church model, which is, you know, <laughs> the idea of. Let's say you have a guest bedroom in your house and most of the time it's empty. You can rent it out on Airbnb. Likewise, 
churches, for the most part, are empty. They Their big day is Sunday, and the rest of the week, uh, there's a lot of space that's sitting and could be used by someone else. So maybe you rent it out as a daycare or something else. That's interesting. Yeah, I, I, well, I was under the impression that when you said Airbnb, they were going to make it into like places for vacations. That would have been fun. <laughs> I would well, like the stained glass window and a steeple. I'd like to, you know. Well, and that's what surprised me about the, look on Zillow. the the church in Central Wisconsin in Cronenwetter. Uh, the which I had to in look where? up Cronenwetter. Oh. I actually had to look up to make sure I was pronouncing it right. Ch- churches are beautiful, but this sold for only two hundred ten thousand dollars, and so the, it feels like this is property that you don't want to just tear down, especially when you think of right. Catholic churches. You think of the the stained glass windows, and there's so much beauty in them that even if you're not going to use it for a church, there's a lot of value there to be a beautiful setting for event spaces, even daycares, right. but uh, econ- like commerce stores. And I was at a brewery in uh, South Southwest Michigan that it was is in an old church, and it's gorgeous. You know, it's still got the exposed beams and the stained glass windows. Um, and you know, I've always wanted to drink in church, so it was perfect. <laughs> the wine didn't really get suffice wine, for you as an altar boy. Let's just leave it at that. I, I did sample some of the non-consecrated wine. <laughs> well, Genevieve, what is also, there was another we work worship. Yeah. <laughs> well, the idea, I guess that uh, the quote was you could have, I think Catholics in the morning and Methodists in the afternoon or something, you know, maybe we all pitch in. Um, like we're sharing an office space or something <laughs> and, you know, you can alter through all the different, uh, denominations, just a couple things up front for every, uh, for every religion that comes in. And yeah, you know, the, I'd have to leave it to the altar boys to figure out the specifics, but right. <laughs> maybe you could weigh in. That yes. seems less thought out. So that seems like a, a newer, uh, idea that take, like, is going to need a little bit more finessing Listen, than the building, Airbnb you need a building. You'd- Go in, get your congregation in there. Maybe I bring out a Buddha in the afternoon. Maybe I put the crucifix up in the morning. I bring in something else. I bring in uh, whatever. Well, Genevieve, has this story opened a can of worms for you? Are you now fascinated with this trend? I am, yes. And I'm I'm always interested in how we have to sort of repurpose uh, our built environment to the way that we're living our lives, which is always changing. And so, you know, this, there's a lot of talk of changing office buildings into apartments, and that's also complicated. And you would think, hey, you already yeah. built it, but you got to move the plumbing around and the windows are an issue. Um, likewise, when people stop going to church, but they still want community in some form, maybe they can find it in the same building, but it'll have to be changed somehow. It's super fascinating. Well, Genevieve Rudston is a real estate and business reporter for the Journal Sentinel. Genevieve, thank you so much for spending time with us today. Thanks so much. All right. Well, coming up in the next half hour, it's very warm today. So I feel like any... <laughs> Are you any, talking about just in the it's studio? It's in the studio. <laughs> it's very warm. Outside, it's warm. It does not feel like we live in the uh, quote-unquote frozen tundra at all. But in the frozen tundra, in yes. Antarctica... It does probably feel very cold. So we're going to talk to one UW-Madison researcher who tells us why the weather there matters so much. Headlines and ABC News is next. Welcome back to Spanning the State. I am Kristen Bright here with Brian Noonan. And fascinating what's come in on uh, adding on to our conversation about churches yeah. Empty churches, church real estate. 
of people texting in on the WTMJ talk and text line 855-616-1620 of different churches in their community and what they've been turned into. And I thought one that was interesting as there is a large, well-built former church in Tosa at 92nd in Wisconsin that's been the ni- in the uh, in the 1970s has been used in, as small business offices since then. So they were that's ahead of amazing. their time. Yeah, that's amazing that it's been going for so long because, well, it just seems the 70s seems so long ago, which but, they are. But but to be able to think ahead and go, all right, what are we going to do with this building? Well, we can divide it up. People will use it. Absolutely. And so there's also someone from the 414. Uh, so there's a church on Capitol Drive that has evangelical services on Sundays and Jewish services on Saturday. So I wasn't that far off when I you talked weren't. about just changing this stuff. I'm a visionary, Kristen. It's about time Clearly, people learn you, Maybe that. you should invest in some I've churches. i buy some churches. But then I had a memory unlocked of when I lived in San Francisco, an old church that was a turned into a roller skating rink. And how big was this church? It had to be pretty big. It was, I mean, it was big enough for a roller rink. For a roller rink, That's and cool. it, it was then. I went to a uh, it wasn't a birthday. Yeah, it was a birthday party. And my distinct memory of skating there, it was a 1970s themed okay costume birthday party, and I was there with girlfriends, and we had this was 2014, 2015. So we had the phones where you did the selfie, sure. and we were making a video, and there is video evidence of me just. Face planting, <laughs> in just the, in the old church. in in, and also in like a onesie, like a disco oh, bell bottomed sure. one piece glittery get up, like you were an ABBA. Yes, exactly, <laughs> like I was an ABBA. And I'm skating. I'm trying to do something for the camera because we've already established I sure. love attention and just down for the count. <laughs> Not good. That's what. I'm glad you still have that. That you didn't delete it or none of your friends deleted it because it, every once in a while you need to keep yourself humble. It's true. So it's nice to look back and go, oh, I was a, yeah, okay. That was not my shining moment. Yes. <laughs> no more skating for me. But then also someone texted in to remind that uh, Central Waters Brewing in Milwaukee yep. is also a, a, a redesigned church. church. And so lots of options. Yeah, and I I didn't realize how big an issue this was until we were talking uh, here and trying to figure out, yeah, it's like any other piece of real estate there are some emotional ties to that real estate, but you know any other building that suddenly becomes vacant, we're repurposing it. So we have to be able to repurpose the uh, the churches. Absolutely. And one text, I don't know if you saw this come in that I thought was was interesting that you might appreciate. I appreciate from the four one four. The pastor of the church for which I do online and occasional in person services is doing research on humor and stand up comedy in the church this coming summer doing his sabbatical. Maybe that would help attendance and motivate lazy people like me to show up. What do you think? Uh, church listen, and stand-up. No. Not not going to work? We had, a, we had a priest when I was growing up, um, the best services ever, because he knew how to keep everything brief. His sermons were no more than like four to five minutes. And church was over in 40 minutes, and boom, we were out. And everybody... That's everybody fast went, even for a Catholic... 40 fast. minutes for a Catholic Mass is even fast. Father Kelly didn't mess around. He he also drove a Trans Am, so everybody thought he was really cool. Um, but listen, if you're a pastor already, you've been around. 
you don't need to, you're not going to tell knock-knock jokes. Nobody wants to hear a street joke during church. They want to get in, they want to uh, experience what they're there to experience, and then they want to go home. We don't need your shtick. This guy's probably, you know he's at a Starbucks over this sabbatical writing his screenplay about the wacky priest who came to a town and was not appreciated, and then he hit star. This is... He, You're not he's buying looking it. for his exit strategy. You're not buying no, it. No, I'm right. not buying it. All I can think of is Father Ken at Queen of Peace in Madison. Every Christmas, he bought the hottest toy. Really? So, like, there was a tickle me out. And somehow he always got whatever the hottest toy was. I don't know who his hookup was <laughs> well, at Toys R Us. Well, he had a little uh, help from but, upstairs. you know, the year that Tickle Me Elmo was yes. just impossible to get, he got one. And he always made his homily, his Christmas Eve homily for the children's mass. Yes. All the kids would get on stage with him and he'd pull out the toy and everyone's eyes would get big and somehow he always managed to connect the two and i feel like he had some good jokes in there and then what did he well sure but he he probably didn't take a sabbatical to study no, yeah, he um, <laughs> then what would he do with the toy just throw it to the kids and watch them thunderdome each other to try and get it or he'd just burn it you don't need toys are not the meaning of christmas and then he'd just destroy it that's a good question I don't know. Someone must have been the benefit, like the benefit from that toy. He gave it to yeah, someone. Well, you hope it was donated. Or maybe he just kept them. They were the collector items. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, no, that was got a store. <laughs> that was his retirement plan. <laughs> All right, coming up next. Why does the weather in Antarctica matter? One UW Madison researcher will tell us. This is spanning the state on WTMJ. Welcome back to Spanning the State. I am Kristen Bright. He is Brian Noonan. Who is? It's a little warm. It's very warm, and I started to dance, then I remembered there were cameras. I don't like this feeling of Big Brother watching me. It's streaming. Hello, everybody on the stream. Uh, yeah, it's very terrible. Which you can watch at WTMJ.com. Of I have to push it. Of course you can. Why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you want to see a, a man sweat and then try to dance? Because <laughs> it's, it's warm in the studio, but it is very warm outside. It is an all-time February record high uh, someone just texted in that it is currently 73 degrees at the Milwaukee airport and 75 degrees at the Kenosha airport. And tomorrow, John said it was going to be 20. Oof. This is, uh, it's a bit concerning. It's a bit concerning. It? <laughs> this is not a normal year. In a normal year, we right. joke about Wisconsin winters being the frozen tundra. But our next guest has actually spent time in his career in an actual frozen tundra. <laughs> In, in, in Antarctica, David Mikulajcik is a researcher with the Antarctica uh, Antarctic Meteorological Research Center at UW-Madison. David, thanks for joining us. Hello. Great to be here. So you're currently in Madison, where it's, is it also 70 degrees in Madison right now? It's, uh, last I saw it was 69, um, so maybe we'll get up to 70 here, but it is warm. It is yeah. super warm. And then what's the temperature at the bottom of the planet today? Well, the coldest temperature I see from our weather station network is negative 75 Fahrenheit. <laughs> wow. Where is so, that? Is that? That's at, it's uh, at Dome C, which is uh, a region kind of very high elevation in East Antarctica. Wow. East Antarctica. So that's Fahrenheit, right? Yes. When you do your research, because it's global, it's global research, do you guys usually do Fahrenheit or Celsius? We usually work with Celsius, but uh, some of our weather displays that we provide online will uh, convert to Fahrenheit, Fahrenheit as well. Thank you for not making us do the math. For <laughs> I, the conversion. I appreciate that, David. <laughs> so I, I find it difficult as well. 
the group that you work with, the research that you do is largely monitoring the weather in Antarctica. And it's why is it so important to do this? Well, one reason uh, for studying the weather in Antarctica is because it is a large data void. And so our automatic weather station network provides uh, the ability to fill in some of the gaps for studying the weather. Um, And one thing that I think people are learning more and more is that everything is connected. Um, Processes just around the region of Antarctica and even globally, uh, things that happen at the equator can have effects in Antarctica a week to two weeks later, uh, sometimes more. Um, Things as simple as uh, thunderstorms at the equator or something like El Nino, which is a typical uh, climate regime that um, we're going through right now, actually, uh, that can have effects. We've seen it affect places here in the U.S., and it can also affect Antarctica. Oh, go ahead. So talking about that connection, you know, people Mm -hmm. hear you talk about the equator. They hear you talk about Antarctica. And they're thinking, well, how does that really affect us here in Wisconsin? That seems very far away. Yeah, it uh, it can seem like that. Uh, but there's there's ways that we can understand how, if we see connections between the tropics and places like Antarctica, there are ways that we can study how that happened and apply it to um, how it might affect areas like the United States. Um, and people who live in various regions across the world. And so if we understand how um, thunderstorms over the tropics can affect the jet stream um, in any part of the world, uh, if we see any sort of connection there in any part of the world, we can see how that might affect areas like uh, Wisconsin. And that might lead to um, times where there's big heat waves, kind of like one that's happening today in Wisconsin. Um, That might affect... um, (laughs) the agriculture uh and so you know since we've hardly had any snow in wisconsin that um therefore we don't uh have a good snowpack to keep the ground uh, moist enough and so that might affect crop uh, the crops for the coming year and so then that has an effect on the economy so these things just kind of you know they snowball a little bit um pardon the pun but um so we like we love puns here. that whole connection oh okay well i'll, I'll try to work more in. more weather <laughs> puns the better so yeah. is there a is there a push from one without knowing much about weather and the climate at all? But is there a push as far as what happens there affects us up here? What happens here affects us down there? Is there one way that it pushes more than the other? Or is it all constantly connected and creating a chain yeah. reaction? That's a good question. Um, it's I think most of the study of the connection between the tropics and the poles is in that uh, order, uh, things that happen in the tropics and how that propag- how the energy and the heat and the moisture propagate from the tropics to the poles. Um, and that probably is generally because a lot of the sun's energy hits the equator the most. Um, that's where it's most intense. That's where a lot of energy is getting input into the Earth system. Um, and then how that energy gets distributed across the globe um, is uh, interesting to study. And so usually it's in that way as far as um, what I, uh, what people in my field study in, in terms of weather and climate. Um, but things can happen in Antarctica that start in Antarctica, particularly uh, I'm thinking uh, about the ocean or ocean circulation. Um, the ocean currents around Antarctica actually are one of the biggest drivers, if not the biggest driver of global ocean circulation. And so if the Antarctic ice sheet changes and has an effect on the surrounding ocean around Antarctica, 
that could have global effects um, about the ocean circulation. So that's one way that uh, the um, that things changing in Antarctica can directly impact um, other places across the globe. All right. Well, I final question, short question. Mm-hmm. When you go annually to Antarctica, is there an initiation for the new people that have to go for the first time? <laughs> initiation. Hmm. Hmm. Let's see. I'm going to say no. You're going to say no, but, <laughs> but is that the answer actually no? Send us a DM. Let the us answer? know the truth. Hmm. I'm trying to think. Let's see. Initiation. I guess uh, maybe this isn't quite... I guess everyone just tries to see a penguin as quickly as they can. Um, You know, that's probably one of the one of the big things that people want to see. And I mean, personally, myself, of course, I I love penguins. They're they're great. So (laughs) the little tuxedoed Um, animals. There you go. All right. David uh, Mikulajczyk, thank you for so much for your time. He is a researcher for Antarctica Meteorological Research Center. That is a mouthful. That is a lot. (laughs) We're going to take a break. We'll be back in just a minute. This is Spanning the State.